When I first found Schedulicity, it was a great way to make appointments from anywhere and really know when I was and wasn't working. Then I started using it for marketing purposes and time management needs. It's been so great. Throughout the years, they've supported me in so many ways, and through their Schedulicity Cares grant, I have been able to make my salon a much more green and friendly environment. It's really meant a lot to me, everything that they've done over the past few years, and especially throughout this shutdown. I mean, it's just an amazing thing to offer your product to people in a time when we need it most. Thank you, Schedulicity. Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Natuno, CEO and founder of Schedulicity, and we're proud to bring you this amazing podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey. And of course, I'm sitting with my best friend, Tom. What's up, buddy? What's going on, brother? So a uh, little backstory for today's guest. We've, uh, once again, we, we've been trying, not really, we, we haven't really tried to get her on. We've actually had her scheduled a few times, and for whatever reason, well, we were supposed to talk to her at Hair Love Retreat back in May, and that got canceled. Um, and, um, you know, we, we wanted to do it live, but unfortunately, uh, you know, the world of today isn't allowing us to do it live, so we have to do it via Zoom. Um, but I'm pretty excited about our guest, man. Yeah, you can feel the energy through the computer, but it would have been pretty cool live. Yeah. It, it just like has that, that kind of spirit about it. Yeah. And, like, you know, I think. Uh, this is the kind of like conversation you want to end with a hug. So, you know, we're going to have to do like a virtual like video hug at, at the end. Right. Yeah. You know, 100%. So if, I don't really know how to word this, but if the industry, if somebody set themselves up for the future of the industry, her time is now. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And, you know, what she's doing from the industry, I mean, not only was needed a long time ago, but I mean, I'm glad she's uh, getting traction and she's actually literally making change. Oh, I think she's like laying rubber now, right? It's yeah. more than traction, yeah. man, you know? So um, today our, our guest is Kia Neal. Um, if you don't know Kia Neal, she, uh, she started a, I, I guess it's a movement from a few years ago. I guess she's been on it. We'll get into it, but I think she's been into it for like three or four years now. Uh, it's, it's texture versus race. And it, it's kind of the debate, like, you know, are we doing black hair? Or are we doing curly hair? Are we doing curly hair? Are we doing black hair, right? So, um, so Kia has been uh, been at the forefront of this. You know, we'll let her explain. Um, you know what her philosophies are for that. But you know, with with certainly with uh, the Black Lives movement that's happened over the last couple months, um, with with how how uh, sensitive our brands have been over the last couple months, she's definitely the voice and and the person that that everyone has has a uh, is seeking right now right i think that that's fair but i want you to know that we've had her on the book for a while <laughs> we're not johnny come lately we, right. we've been on the book yeah i mean come on it's the way she explained it she's spot on dude you know right. what i mean and unfortunately um just like everything else and i guess in america you know what i mean we we tend to not necessarily i mean we do i mean we segregate because of race or because mm-hmm. of for whatever reason but when she explains hair as as a fabric and the way she explains it you totally get it right mm-hmm. and if we can take that approach with everything right i mean talk about change 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 100 percent, right but i'm really looking forward to having a conversation with her about all this and how we can literally make a difference in our industry and change our industry um you know and look at it like like that you know what i mean and, and, and not necessarily race I love it. I absolutely love it. I think I'm done talking. I think we bring. I think we bring in the yeah. expert, right? Exactly. Well, I definitely <laughs> <ain't> no expert. <laughs> no, 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 no. She's definitely expert. Miss Kia Neal, welcome to your day off. Hi, guys. What's uh, up, buddy? How are you? Uh, fantastic, man. Yeah, about dang time to get you on this thing. I know, right? I know. We've been playing cat and mouse for a couple years now, but you were right. Our first introduction was was very much in the onset of texture versus race. And it was brought to you and you guys did reach back out and say, Hey, let's get you on the books. It just somehow it just didn't materialize. 
Um, and then everything we did after that just kind of kept getting, you know, right. pushed back. So, yeah, you're not Johnny come lately. You've been around for a while. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, right. Kia. Thanks for that uh, endorsement. That <laughs> Let's get our listeners uh, more uh, aware of, you know, who you are, where'd you grow up, stuff like that. So where did you grow up? Or where so are you from, I should South say? South Carolina. I'm a Charleston girl, Southern by heart. Uh, re- uh, relocated to Maryland, close to you guys. That's it, um, right? Loving it. Been here for about ten years, but I'm still strongly connected to my southern roots. I love. I've only been to Charleston once, and we, we really, really had a good time. Charleston. Yeah, we we you, they have that. Uh, we I guess we went kayaking on that bay, and there's like this bird sanctuary island right next, right in the Bay of Charleston, and it was really, really cool. That's so cool. I would love it because I'm such a history dude, especially like Civil War history, and there's so much of that that um, um, down south. So, um, that's, you know, that's what's why interesting that I'm from South Carolina, and South Carolina holds almost the most Black history ever because you know the Charleston ports were where the first batch of slaves were brought in. So our uh-huh. history is rich down there when it comes to Black history with the slave market. I don't know if you had a chance to go there. It's the, it's, they just kind of call it the market, but it's the slave market and it's actual location where they would bring the slaves to, you know, present them and sell them. So it's, it's a lot, you know, going to the houses, it's a lot to learn down there. So if you guys ever go again, please take the tours, listen to the history. Yeah, it's great. We did take a, uh, one of those horse and buggy tours. Well, they're going to show you the good stuff. They're not going to show you. The they're going to show you the candy stores and the houses now. Right, yeah, exactly what they did. Hey, you you know what's interesting? What's interesting, if you look at like, if you look at like the map of Washington, D.C., it looks like a half a triangle or a half a diamond. And that's because Alexandria after, um, actually broke off from D.C. So Alexandria, Old Town Alexandria used to be part of D.C. And they broke off when, 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 um, when D.C. decided to, um, to no longer, to make, they made slavery illegal, right? So Alexander, which was one of the largest uh, slave um, uh, markets in the country, and they would, they would, because they would buy there and then they would ship slaves up and down the Potomac River. So Virginia actually pulled back and they took that market back from, uh, from D.C. because of that. But that's why D.C. is shaped the way that it is. And that's why the Pentagon, which is actually in Virginia, has a D.C. address. Just a little, uh, just a little uh, history oh, there. I didn't know. That's interesting. Sweet. Yeah. The two, the two biggest ports were Georgetown. Or the two biggest northern ports were Georgetown and were um, and were Alexandria and Georgetown. Um, you know, then they of course made slavery illegal, but Virginia, you know, kept it kept on with it until you know 1865. Yeah. That's great. So, so, were you a hairdresser when you uh, came up north? I, I was. Yep. I had been, I've been a hairdresser for 26 years actually, and I owned a salon for 10 years. I closed it to move to Maryland. So yeah, I've been doing hair a while. Well, I did take a two year break between 2010 and 2012. I was a stay at home mom. I had a new baby uh-huh. and you know, I had subscribed to the yoga mom series. Okay. And, you know, didn't, mm-hmm. That's it. That's what I did for two years. So yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love, that's I important too. I, you know, just, I guess the bondage with the kid and uh, yeah, it was it was good it was different you know I had two children before that and I was rushing back to work because I was a single mom and I was working very very hard in the industry so my story was much like you know most hairdressers single or not they all kind of rushed back to work because you know we don't we know we don't work we don't eat so of course to take care of my family you know it was sort of a rush for me to get back to work but you know when I did it this time you know, me, my husband and I, we decided that I would stay home. And then, of course, Maryland is ridiculous with daycare. So it was it, it made more sense for me to stay home until he got of a certain age than it was to pay money that I probably wasn't going to make starting in a new salon. <laughs> but then- <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Until you build that clientele, you're not making any money. No. You know, that's what a lot of people outside the industry don't understand either. Like you starve for two years, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're starting. I did. I starved and mostly because I started working at a multicultural salon. So not only did I jump into a space that was new to me and I was brand new to the space, but I also jumped into a new 
uh, area of specialty because I was not doing multicultural hair. But I intentionally started working at a salon where I was the only black person there in majority. And I started doing hair and working with people that I was not familiar with myself. Having a traditional black salon, black clientele in South Carolina, I, you know, this was something new, but it was intentional. So I knew that this was going to be kind of like on the job training again for two years. So we were prepared for me to not make any money. And, and I didn't for a long time, you know, so it, it took that time I had to go through that struggle of rebuilding and it was, it was worth it because it, it definitely helped me birth my next that's that's exactly yeah that's exactly right so you went into like uh like a you said multicultural was that the first time that you had kind of done and i hate to use this because you're going to yell at me but it's okay is that the first time you kind of had done like white hair yes no i'm not gonna yell at you i'm gonna say it loud no that was my first time doing white hair in a majority because although i could do straighter hair that wasn't the majority of my clientele you know my my multicultural experience lied in who I could catch at the door before they ran out or <laughs> who who came in and just didn't care and said hey can you do my hair and I'd say yes so they were kind of far and few in between but but we did them you know we had a few but when I came here the clientele was predominantly white and then I brought in black people so right. yeah it was a completely different hand for me. Kind of like learning to round brush with your left hand. <laughs> I, was to do, I, round, I round brush with my left hand because I, I can't hold the dryer. I hold. Pretty impressive. No, I round brush. I use the brush in my right hand. So I'm trying to learn how to do it in my, on my left hand. I can't do that at all. Yeah, it's pretty impressive because a lot of people are afraid of what they don't know and you know what I mean and and maybe intimidated to try to tackle something like that and I mean you went in there like you know excuse my phrase but balls to the walls and and just like you know I'm gonna do it for because I want to do it I want to learn you know what I mean and and to to put yourself out there and being uncomfortable you know that's that's kudos and it also takes a lot of, I want to say humility, because, you know, going into a new space where you want to learn, you have, you know, I didn't go in with any accolades. I didn't go in. I don't think they knew for like two years that I had ever even owned a salon. I don't think that they knew. I know they didn't know. I intentionally left my resume pretty, pretty simple and green because I wanted to go in green. I wanted to learn and absorb everything. And sometimes going into a new space with too many accolades and adornment, people kind of, you know, they test you. It's, it's almost like a, a, a dog whistle for saying, well, let me see what you know. Oh, you know it. You got it. You, you know, you, you right. should do this. But when you go in green and humble and you just sort of submit to the fact that you're a student to whatever it is you're trying to learn. So nobody knew I was a, an educator before that, you know, or a platform artist. They just knew I was a yoga mom coming off of stay-at-home mom <laughs> business, and I wanted to learn to do white hair. And so they, they taught me. They taught me well. They let me walk behind them. I mean, like, I followed behind everybody to the point that when they stopped, I bumped into them. When they stepped back, they stepped on my feet. Like, that's how much <laughs> of a steward and a student that I was to, and, and the commitment I had to learning how to do other textures of hair. And it wasn't comfortable the whole time. You know, it was an adjustment for everybody to have a, a, a what I'm going to say, a full-time Black person in your space at all times. <laughs> it was new for them and me to come and go, but I was there full-time, all hands on deck, like you said, balls to the wall every day in their space. I love it. Kia, why? Why? What motivated you to do it? I mean, like, it's so... You know, it's so easy to get up in the morning and just do what you know. But, you know, what was the challenge? Why, Kia? That is a very good question that I don't think anybody has ever asked me. Welcome to the Hair Industry Podcast. That's amazing. I love that. Why? Why did I choose to do that? In that moment, guys, you have to remember, I, like I said, I was a single mom of two. I owned the salon. Most of my experience with my traditional salon module was very nine to nine, mommy be back all day, hustling, grinding, working very hard. And I I honestly knew that I was missing something. Something was missing from my life where I couldn't be 
exactly who I wanted to be for my family. And I knew that I needed to start working smarter and not harder. And when I started looking and speaking to people, really doing the research about uh, hair and the services that make the most money, it lived in color. And although I did color, I did sort of black girl color. You know, we were kind of limited, but I was very creative. I was great amongst the greats of what I did. Don't get me wrong. But I wanted to be exceptional and I wanted to expand my prowess as far as being able to do color on anybody and being able to thrive in any salon so that I could do 10 to 1, you know, 3 to 1. So right now, the money that it took me to make with three clients, I now can make with one during color. And that was my intention. I needed to set myself up for financial freedom. And so I knew that I had to expand my education and my knowledge in order to be able to do that. So, so that, I'm going to say that is, that's a great why answer, you know, that's a very yoga mom answer too, right? Yeah. Like, like I got, I got, I got to, I got to, you know, provide yeah, financial freedom. I loved it. I needed freedom. I needed freedom to do it the way I wanted to do it and still do what I love. So in order to do that, I had to change the scope of what I was doing, change the module of how it was getting done. So, And, and quite honestly, I, when I was going to the hair shows and got introduced to Premiere, I started seeing a whole lot of white people because, you know, the hair shows are very white. So, you you know, you're much more exposed from going to like just a Bronner brother or something like that. When you go to a, a, a show and I was enamored with what I was seeing and and. Beth Minardi was kind of my inspiration there too, you know, for a long time. I wanted to be the black Beth Minardi. I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, be the guru of formulation and permanent hair color and to be able to do that in, in education as well. But, you know, now I'm just the black Kia Neal. So, it, you know, there you go. Who <laughs> <laughs> is loved by everybody, which is great. I, I'm, I'm going to quote Janice Joplin because, you know, she wrote that, Freedom's just another word for nothing else to lose. And you were in a position with nothing else to lose, right? Which gave you your freedom. Absolutely. At that point, I was starting over. I had a choice. Do I want to jump back into the fire that I came out of? Or do I want to create? I didn't have anything to lose. I was already not working. I already didn't have any clientele. I already, you know, was at a huge reset. So why not take that moment and make it work for me and set myself up in the position that I wanted to thrive in, which is exactly where we are as a country and as an industry right now. We have the ability that we've never seen before to rewrite and, and to, to remold and shape our own future. Right now, we're in the middle of the change and in the shift. So for us now, no one has the choice to sit back and wait on things to settle down. They're not going to settle down. They're going to settle a specific way, and you have to be hands on deck to figure out what that's going to look like. Yeah, I was going to ask you, so what? So everybody who's listening who wants to remold, I mean, what advice do you give them on, uh, on a call to action type of deal? I mean, what, what would you say to them if they're listening to you and saying, hey, Kia, all right, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I do. What do I do? How can, how can I do it? Make two lists. You know, one of the things that I did for me was I made a list of all the things I was great at and all the things I would do without any hesitation. And I built that list to comprise of all the things that I knew that if someone said, go, do it or die, I knew I would live through it. And then I made a second list of all the things, just the opposite. <laughs> Where was my weakness? Where was my hesitation? Where, where did I stop being comfortable with what my results were going to be? And I threw away the good list, the one where I just knew I was going to thrive. I threw that list away and I worked on the other one. Do something about that list every day. There's something you can do every single day to start plucking at that list to help you. So if you know I don't know anything. I want to learn how to do test or I don't know how to blow dry. I don't know how to twist. Or I don't know how to shampoo. I don't have the products. I don't, I just don't know anything. Start somewhere. Reverse engineer that whole list. And that, and I've never given that answer directly to any single other podcast. So I'm almost grateful that our podcast fell apart the first time because I feel like this one somehow has a, a slightly different energy. And I'm excited. Off, I mean, I mean, you know, aside from like texture versus race, aside from all that, that's just a great piece of advice. 
start somewhere. Start somewhere and, and, and make a list of your weaknesses. So, so at least you have a game plan, right? So you can game plan like, oh, I suck at this. Let me, let me work on this, you know? That's a, I, oh, my list would be so big. <laughs> I don't know if I have enough years left in the industry to work on my list. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes the list is so long, you're like, okay, now that's overwhelming. But you know what you do? You take your top three and then, and then you reshift again. Prioritize that list. What's first? What might be second? And what might be third? And then break that down into what do I need to get that? Let me give you an example. This is how I talk to my students when we talk about uh, numbers or we talk about meeting goals. Let's just say my goal was to buy a house. Well, that might seem like a long way off, but then I got to realize, well, what parts of these things do I have to do to buy this house? Okay, great. I need to get my credit together. I need to get some money. And, you know, and I need whatever. So can I take those two components and now break that down? How do I get more money? Budget. How do I budget? Break that down. Okay. Stop eating out. Okay. I'm going to cut Starbucks out every day. That's one thing towards a bigger goal. Do you see what I'm saying? That's one thing every day towards the bigger goal. Okay. How do I fix my credit? Okay. That means I got to take my tips now and put it towards the extra credit card. That's one small step towards a bigger goal, towards the bigger goal. And I think when people look at things, it looks like a huge elephant. But how do you eat an elephant? One piece at a time. But if you never face the elephant, you can't conquer what you don't, what you don't, you know, confront. So, yeah, so, so basically what you're saying is, that, okay, I see, I see the end goal. Now I just got to create the steps to get there or create the path, right? So if I create the path, then it, it'll be a much easier process to get to the end versus trying to, yeah, trying to wing through a, a forest to think I'm going to get there and I'm going to get lost. Ty- right. Tyreek, ask somebody, where do I start with this? You know what, kid? I don't know anything about this. Where do I start? Great. Go get you some education. Let me go to the resources, take some classes, start there. Then at least you know, again, where you might need to dive in a little bit more. I just think you have to do something. I think people that's stuck in analysis paralysis are going to be, you know, they're going to find themselves a lot more at a disadvantage if they don't take advantage of where we are right now. I've been, I was stuck in a, a analysis paralysis for most of my life, if I'm being honest. You know, like, like, like there's so many times, and, and I mean, I, I'm going to call both Tony and I out because I think we're both guilty of it. There's been so many times, you know, all the way through our 20s and 30s where we're scheming to do this and scheming to do that, but, but we were looking at the outcome instead of the work to be done, right? And the outcome was always filled with like, was filled with like judgment and what are people going to think and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, for me, until we started the podcast, you know, one of the first conversations that we had is that we're getting ready to start a podcast. We're not broadcasters, we're hairdressers, which made it a little easier, actually, right? Because there's no expectation. But like, we're going forward with this as we are going to make mistakes and we're going to fail our way all the way through this thing. You know, we're going to fail at this every single day. And that's only going to make us better at the end. Right. So, I mean, pretty much my, my, again, to, to recap, pretty much my entire life. I'm speaking a little bit for Tony because he's only been by my side this whole time, but you know, you get stuck up in like what needs to be done instead of just doing, you know, and, and, and that's, and, and, and with the podcast, we, we did it, we did a little bit differently this time. We're just like, we, freedom's just another word for nothing else to lose. We had nothing to lose. Right. Like I said, that made it a little bit easier. You know what? You said something really good. You got to be willing to fail. Most of us are not willing to fail. Society has set us up to be afraid to fail, but in failures where you find growth. I don't look at failure as stifling more than it is me crossing something off the list that doesn't work. <laughs> okay, that right. that again. I mean, do you know how many white people say I messed up along the way? Right. <laughs> you know how many white people say I messed up along the way? <laughs> <laughs> people too but I'm just saying in this moment where it was imperative that I get it like do you know I remember this one day this lady one of my co-workers she said so you did that huh and she just looked at me and she said what did you use again and she was so sweet she says and you put that right there in her bangs huh and I was like yeah and she was like okay she didn't say anything I was like, that must have really been bad <laughs> she was <laughs> It was so bad she couldn't even speak to it. She just said, "So you did that, huh?" Okay. Oh my God, that's so funny. That's, she was like, uh, that's funny. 
You know, it, it, it's funny, and, and I'm going to, like, we've, I've, I've, and we've, we've redefined what failure is, right? Like, failure is not, see, here's what, people think failure is an ending, and actually failure is just a beginning to what's next, right? That, that, that's all, that's all that failure is, but I mean, even still today, I get caught up in like, oh my God, if we fail, but then, well, what is failure, you know? Failure just means that you stop doing that. It just creates another opportunity. That's it, right? We just can't, and, and it all sounds like wonky and stuff until you get in there and do it, but that's all it is. I mean, you know, I'm not, I, I don't even know what, I don't know what true failure for the podcast would look like. Like, I don't know, like people are going to keep me from talking and cut my tongue out. You know, what is failure? You know, could, you know, as long as we can bring Kia on, we'll never be failures. Never. We'll have content for days with me. I mean, really, y'all need to just make me a third chair and just let me join the rest of them. With, with you're, you're more than welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Always have an open mic for you. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, Kia, backing up to so now you're working in this white salon, and I'm 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 impressed and intimidated by why take the challenge? Why take the challenge of like texture versus race? Like, like what when you first sat down and started to think about this? Like, like what? I guess the question comes back to why again, you know, well, first of all, I mean, you're in a, how long were you in the salon before you started to, to create this or think about this? Yeah. So here's the thing. Texture versus race wasn't born immediately. Color culture was born first. So I started working there right at the top of 2012. Color culture was born in 2015. So it took me three years to build my knowledge of color. But what I learned was, why wasn't everybody getting this? See, I'm an educator by nature. So when I, when I learn, I'm not only just learning information, I'm learning how to now regurgitate that information. How do I liaison that information to other people? And for me, I start to pick apart the pieces that I go, oh, that's missing. I see why we don't get that part. Or I see why people keep getting confused here. Because according to the information that I'm getting, not just from the salons, but even the education they provided, I always was able to pick out and go, they don't really, I see why this does not make sense to people. So I started building a curriculum based off of the questions and the parts and pieces that I thought was lacking in in, uh, color curriculums, period. So I built an all-inclusive, not black girl color curriculum, right? That included everybody, but it was very science heavy. It was very theory heavy. And to a point, people were irritated with me because they always wanted me to do so much work. And I'm like, it doesn't matter how much work I can do the work, but can you? Because it doesn't matter what you're doing if you don't know why you're doing it. So let's deal with that. And I don't think enough people, artists, brands, actually lean into theory more than they are just the artistic side. And that's why people tend to always fail a lot at color and formulation. They're still asking the questions because we're too busy learning techniques. So my take was very theory heavy, but I I believe that I didn't create color culture for just black people, but they, they did have the most advantage from having that curriculum because now they could understand it in a language that they could actually understand. They could hear it in the language. So that's why we named it the color interpretations because I was interpreting information in a space where everybody, no matter where you are, could understand. So black, white, of uh, anybody could really understand and people in any uh, level in the industry would always come up to me and say, I've never heard that before like that or, oh my God, I never really understood the color wheel exactly or I never realized this is what was happening in the hair. And I just didn't know, but thank you so much. I've been doing hair for 30 years and never heard it like that. Like that's where we were with the color culture. Texture versus race came because the ABCH wanted me to teach again, black girl color. And I was not, and I was not happy about that. You know, so when they said, we want you to teach, but we want you to teach how to do it on texture hair. It was kind of, it was, it was, it was a blow because Although I wanted the opportunity, I didn't want that proverbial box to be. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They put you in a box. Right. I didn't want to be the black girl that taught the black color in that, in that one class. And, and I had worked so hard to have a texture agnostic, <laughs> you know, <laughs> curriculum that to now say teach black girl color to me. And that's how I heard it. They didn't say it like that. But that's how right. I heard it. It's like, don't, 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 don't. 
Like, here we go. <laughs> oh, God, here we go. And so I argued with God about it. And I kept saying, I don't want to do this, but I know it was my opportunity. And he's, and God literally, in, in my frustration, dropped texture versus race in my lap. And I was like, no, I'm not teaching that. No, we're not doing that. And, you know, I'm a spiritual girl. So I feel like when it dropped on me, it wasn't something that I sat there and said, hmm, we're going to put this. And we're gonna... I did it. It literally just dropped in my mind. And I left it alone for about three, almost four months. And then when I came back, I still couldn't put the curriculum together. For four months, it just sat on my wall saying texture versus race. And I looked at it every day with, without any thought as to what that class was going to look like. And was your salon open, the one that you were currently working at? Like first, when you, when you created Color Culture, were they open to it? Did they, uh, or were they kind of a little reserved or like, you know? You know what's funny? They, they could care less about what I'm doing. Like they literally look at me like, and we laugh about that because I could have done a world tour and been on stages and done all these things and not get back to work. And they'd be like, yeah, you left your spray on the, on the station last week. Jocking me about a dang on spray bottle. Like, don't be, get off my back, you know? And I would say, did you see, my such and such was so-and-so, what did you see? And they'd be like, oh, no, no. Or sometimes they would, and they go, well, what were you doing? Well, what was that about? Because I didn't, I didn't share it with them as much. Like, I didn't really let them into that world of what was really going on. I don't know why. I just didn't. I didn't think, I don't know. I just, I just didn't. But I'll tell you what they did do. Whatever I needed, they were silently supportive. So they let me have classes at the salon. They let me open up and they go, well, whatever you're doing, whatever it is you're doing, just go ahead and do it. We're good. We're good with that. So they were sort of silently supportive, but we laugh about the fact that I said, did you see me on Sam B? And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> hey, 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 Kia, one, one, um. One of the biggest things, again, that we've learned from the podcast is that the hardest people to the reach are the ones that are closest to you. They've never had a texture versus race class. Right. That should right. be like a big boom. Like, this should be like sound effects right there. They've never Michael had Cole. a texture versus race class. And they told me recently, like, I told them, I said, I think we need one. We've got too many new people, and I'm not sure they understand how diverse we need to be we need to we need we need to check our culture here mm. and you know because we didn't have such a texture versus race culture it taught me how to how to structure texture versus race because mm. i i learned through all the bad experiences good and bad being at that salon how to gather information and how to guide people into having a better situation so texture versus race was just born from me trying to say again, are we really afraid of texture or are we afraid of the person that it shows up on? And that's a real question. And everybody has to answer that. So that's what texture versus race does. It's, it is about theory and it is about teaching people that hair is a fabric and, and to remove race from the equation. But I believe wholeheartedly that it has everything to do with your heart position and how you perceive people, which is where most of our fear is being stemmed from. We can learn to do anything. Right. We got to learn how to do people. And that's what mm-hmm. Texture versus Race stood for. So it. when it was sitting up there on the wall for four months, is it, are those the things that it was like, you know, how, how am I going to break this down? How am I going to write the curriculum for it? How am I going to put this all together so I can actually teach, you know, from the heart? So exactly. I looked at it and I kept saying, okay, so now they're pressing me out. <laughs> I got to get the <laughs> curriculum. They want the curriculum. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I'm like, I don't know. How do I say how to do black hair? Like, how do you say that? Like, I don't know. It was, I don't know. It just, for some reason, seemed to escape me how to compartmentalize that piece, like cherry pick the curriculum that I worked so hard to blur the line. It was not, it was now so blurry to me. I couldn't really go in and go, okay, let me pick this part out and tell you. And I just, and I was just sort of in a space one day. I literally remember sitting at my desk and I was like, oh my God. I was like, how do I do this? I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, God, you got to help me because I just don't know. I was like, I don't even think people, because here's the thing. I asked everybody what they thought I should teach. How about that? 
every mentor I had in my life, white. I called them and says, what do you think? What, what angle do you think I should come from? What are the, and everybody had a different approach. And I kept going, mm, no, that's not it. Nope, that's not it either. Mm, uh, that nothing stuck. And so finally, in my frustration, I was talking it out with myself, me and God. And I said, I don't, I have no idea how this is going to go. I'm like, I don't even think people really have a problem with doing textured hair. I think the issue is they don't like the people that are showing up on. And he was like, and that's what you're going to talk about. And I was like, what? <laughs> and literally it started flowing from there. And after that, it was just a flow and it, it never stopped from there. That's when I understood exactly in that one moment what texture versus race had to stand for. It had to have the component of the personal journey, the personal work, the observation, the acknowledgement that there was a breakdown and then we could move on. And ironically, I'm surprised I didn't get to that sooner because that's exactly what color culture does. We have the personal development piece. You know, we bring in, um, you know, people that do uh, personal work, uh, people that do not so like a life coach kind of we bring people in to really get them to open up and break those stones and to to empty their cups so that they can receive what we were giving them for the weekend because it would be so so much information and I and I knew then that there was always a heart issue before you could really educate people but I didn't realize until this moment that moment that I had to do the same thing with texture versus race so every class starts off very differently than most classes. We don't we don't talk about hair until probably the end. Well I just I just I didn't I, I never anticipated that I would get emotional during this podcast. Or if I get emotional it'd be for different reasons and like you, you touch my heart a little bit, Kia. Like I, I I I just I love that. It, it, look I'm actually kind of starting to tear a little bit. That's crazy. So so are are, are is it people People don't, I mean, of course, some people don't like some people, right? But is it more because they don't know or they're scared or they intimidated? Is it, uh, or is it all of the above? I mean. I think it's all of the above. And I think that we do have some social biasness. I think that we are bred to, we live in a world where we all have a bias. We all buy into stereotypes. We all buy into, um, you know, ideals that maybe we didn't come up on our own, but we have to acknowledge that they're there. And the only way to do that is to test you, test your heart, make you answer the questions. Sometimes it's not about the answer. You can ask someone, are you racist? Their first response is going to be, no, absolutely not. I'm not racist. I got black friends. I got... I grew up here and I grew up around black people. You know, my friend, you know, my goddaughter is mixed or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like we'll come up with all of these ways to justify and to prove that we're not biased. But if we were to really pull back and ask certain questions, when you ask the right question, then you might get the answer that you're looking for. And I don't think we're asking ourselves the right set of questions to get to the point that we acknowledge that they're biased. Do I have biases? Yes. Does it stop me from having great white friends? No. But can I say for certain that there's not a part of me that still goes, you know, white well, people. But, Kia, but Kia, Kia, hold on for a sec, though. I mean, I, I take exception a little bit because I think that there's there's one thing about like having either like biased thoughts or there's one thing about having stereotypical thoughts, but it's another thing to be a racist, right? Like, like, like a racist is going out of your way or going out of one's way. By the way, this is just as it's coming to me. I don't really have a real thought about it, but, but you, but you know, racist is going out of your way to, to be racist, right? But like we all, like you said, we all have the, the same biases, but you know, I just, if, if you were to put somebody in a corner and say, you're a racist, for, for whatever reason, that, that, that might not be the most, I just, I would have, I, ha, I would have issue with that. Now, if you want to have a conversation about why we're biased or how we're biased, but, but to call someone a racist just because I, I think, I, I don't think, I don't think it's, it's a fair assessment. And see, that's the thing. Everybody looks at it like, okay, if you say, are you racist? People look at that like, that's the worst thing in the world you could call a white person. You see how that conversation will shift just right there because like, oh no, we're not going to say that. 
You see what I'm saying? But the reality is that all of us, all of us have to take inventory of where we live and how we live it. We all do. But people look at races like how we look at the N-word. White people look at, if you say you're the race, you're, you're racist, that's like you calling us the N-word. That's the worst thing in the world you could say to someone. But what people have to realize that in the Texas versus race curriculum, we talk about race, but we take racism out of it. That's the point. We, you have to learn to be able to talk about race without calling someone a racist. And when people hear racist, they need to hear that you have not done enough to make this world anti-racist. This is not about you and your deliberate uh, actions to, you know, hate somebody and, and, and do things to actually harm people. It's the things that we're not doing, the things that we're not cognizant of, to be honest with you. These are the things that cause us to live in a racist world and for racism and hate to thrive. It's only be, when everyone becomes actively anti-racist, meaning that you are actively walking in activity every single day to do something and to be anti-racist, will everyone be anti-racist? Because right now, we're all living in, in water. It's like I was listening to something the other day, and he said, you know, telling white people that, you know, they live in a whitewashed world is like trying to explain water to a fish. They have no idea what water is. They have no concept of what water is because they live in it. So, of course, they can't see it. Who's going to see it? The, the, the animals that don't live in water because they perceive it differently. Does that make sense? So while That's you're, a great analogy, by the way. Yeah, and it wasn't mine. I wish it was, but I was listening to this man. You know who, you know who I was listening to? Chelsea. Chelsea Handler? Yes. Chelsea has a sort of a expose, a documentary, and she was talking to a white man and he was talking about that, how white people can't really see it because it's like trying to explain fish to water, you know, fish, explain water to fish and and a fish wouldn't have any idea because that's just his environment is what he's used to. He's not going to identify. That's what privilege is to white people. I didn't understand white privilege for the longest time because the way I grew up and stuff like that, I was like, I don't get it. I, I, I would try to argue. It's like, no, nah, my life was just as tough as yours. You know, I would try to argue it until someone said, he gave an analogy about how he got pulled over by a police officer and he was joking and, and making the police officer feel a little bit intimidated. He's a big white guy. And he goes, but I can do that. He goes, black people, they, 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 they're afraid. They're automatically afraid when they get pulled over. They, you know, so as he was breaking this down, I'm like, a light bulb went off. I was like, I got there it. it. Is. There mm-hmm. was, you know, but up until that point, I couldn't understand it. You know what I mean? Because, you know, I would argue the, the 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 fact of white privilege, but but after all that, I was like, okay, now, you know, I kind of see what he was saying, and, and and just I I totally see it now. I got part, it. Part part of my thought about white privilege since we're here was um, uh, Debbie and Eric, who's 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 good friends with us and his cousins. Um, it's it's a mixed family, but. I think I talked to you about this too as well, Kia. Like I understood white privilege when I understood that I never had the conversation with my daughter about how to get pulled over by the police. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, 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 there's a different black protocol when you get pulled over by the police than than, than if than you know if, if you have you know white kids. Like, you know, I've never had that conversation. You know, but I, I certainly <laughs> am aware. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I got into a heavy argument with somebody for texting me like really late in the night and early, early in the morning, the wee hours. And I said, don't do that. And their response was, well, cut your phone off. I'm like, I'm glad you know you got the privilege to do that. I can't do not disturb my phone because I have young men that drive and that are out in the street. And so I have to always be available for any call that might come in to say, and, and it's unfortunate, my thought is always something happened, something went wrong, he's been stopped by the police, or somebody's hurt him, or something like that. And so I don't have that privilege to cut my phone off and just be done away with the world because my most peak times for concern is in the midnight hours when I should be resting. So no, I don't have that privilege to be able to turn my phone off. I'm always, every church, every, I'm like, oh, what is it? Because I have gotten a call, like, Mom, I got pulled over by the police and they're tearing everything out of the car and, you know, da 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 You know, that's, that's a real thing. And until you understand that, that's why when people say racism and say racist, it hits different on white people in a defensive space. But then you got to remember the people that wear that every day. So racism is going to hit me differently because I'm living in it. 
because I see it as much more harmful. So we have to be able to have conversations like this that help to exploit some of our blind spots and some of our, you know, tone deafness or, you know, because we don't really understand or just our simple understanding of what being racist means. It doesn't mean that you are intentionally harmful, but not being intentionally a part of the solution is just as harmful. This world isn't the way it is because of just racist people. It's this way because so many people allowed it to live and never said a word. That's why it's harmful. And that is the most harmful space to be in is one of denial and silence. That's why we're changing now because so many people have a new arousal to what racism really looks like and how the systemic racism has impeded and has uh, hurt this country and hurt the black people and other people of color that live in it. And until you look at it and take your glasses off and come out of water a little bit so you can get on land and see things from a different perspective, we'll still be here. And that's that's the anti-racist work. So that's all. I just wanted to, to kind of revisit that. But yeah, it is a privilege to be able to know that whatever your life brings you was more about your choices, your decisions, your parents' decisions, and how they postured you, however you grew up. But it was it's, but where you are in life, whether you have or have not, has nothing to do with your skin color. Not one thing. High five. Yeah, and, that, and that, that's what I, what I couldn't understand uh, up until, you know, not too long ago. You know, you know, you, you know, it's interesting. She said about, you know, she has to worry about her car, her, you know, getting a call that her cars, uh, her kids' cars are getting torn apart. Um, I've had a car pulled, pulled apart two times um, get, when I got pulled over. Both times I had an African-American in the car with me. And when did you, when did you think about that? When did that realization come to you? Really, like when you said that? So that's all this time. It's like, no, my car's gotten pulled over. I've gotten stuff torn out of my car. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I wasn't being defensive, Miss Kia. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. She's not saying that. Oh, I thought she was saying I was being defensive. No, 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 no. Not defensive at all, but I'm saying that. Being blinded. Yeah. If you don't put the pieces together, it's easy to have earmuffs and blinders on and be like, no, I've gotten pulled over before and I've had that happen. And then all of a sudden, for to go, but I didn't think about the fact that I had somebody black both times yeah. and shotgun. And that may have been why. Well, you know, what's scary is one of the times we were in Missouri. Now, you know, I was 17 or 18 at the time, so I didn't understand, you know, the implication of like of, of Missouri and how Missouri played out in race and stuff. But, you know, one time we were in Missouri heading cross country. Remember that? We got the car got pulled apart. Um, and then the other time was it was in, well, South Carolina. Go figure. I was going to put that in for you. <laughs> Honey, I'm, I'm scared to live in South Carolina sometimes. You you know, living in South Carolina while black is a dangerous space. <laughs> really? I got beat up by the cops one time. But, you know, when I look back on it, I mean, not that we deserved it, but we, we definitely uh, brought it on ourselves, right? And uh, me and my brother, because uh, we did not uh, listen. We, we resisted. We, uh, yeah, we tried to fight back a little bit and got, got beat, just roughed up a little bit. You know what <laughs> I mean? But we weren't afraid of, of losing our lives doing that. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, I just had that blurt out like, right, because yeah. I'll tell you, I had a, a person ask me the other day on a call, and he said, let me ask you a question. What would you say? to you know, the fact that 9% of black men have been murdered by police and 16% of white people, white men have been murdered by police. What would you say? And I said, I think those numbers are quite low <laughs> for white men, actually. I said, because one, there's just that much more of, of you, right? So the percentages automatically by numbers, sheer numbers don't add up. I said, but most of the, the 9% are either unarmed or falsely accused. So that's alarming in itself that we only make up a small percentage of the country, but we make up 9% of those men that are murdered by police. I said, but by the time they murder 
a white man, I said, you've pretty much brought that on yourself. They've done everything they can to save your life at that point. I said, because you all do some very ignorant things sometimes that, you know, that, that we as black people know we could never think about doing. If there was a thought to do some of the stuff that y'all get away with, which is a privilege in itself, you know, we would be dead before we could even get that out. And so, you know, just really thinking about that, like 16% is really a a low number. When you think about, I can pull up video after video of people, you know, uh, wrestling with the cops, uh, trying to reach for their gun, taking the stun gun, running down the street, high speed chases, and they all make it. You can murder nine people while they're praying in the church and still make the Burger King before you make it to the jailhouse. That is a disgusting privilege. That's a disgusting yeah. privilege in itself. And I know those people. Right. My family went to that church when they were younger. So that's yeah. not even like, a, you know, six degrees of separation for me. That's at home. And this person made it to Burger King. Every single person that has done something so horrific has made it to, to tell about, they lived through it to even see their justice being served if it was being served. And then you got black people who do no more than don't change, don't put their signal on the change lanes that don't. So yeah, this, when we talk about privilege, we have to look at it through different lenses and hear people speak to it and not from a space of, I don't, I don't have privilege. Yes, you do. And that's the, that's the God on the truth that by the time someone, like you said, roughs you up and beats you up, you're not worried about your life. You're just, you're just being belligerent little white boys that just need a good little dusting off, but you're going to make it home to you your mom. Dust it off. Yeah, I did get dusted off. <laughs> a little dusting off, a little tightening up, but they're not going to kill you. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, it, and if nothing else, you weren't, you knew that you weren't going to do serious time either. Right. So even, even if you were of color and, uh, and you got your dusting off, but you could also be looking at serious time, you know, down the road as well. So, 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 so texture versus race. I mean, how, so you, you talk about hair at the very end, but let's talk about the curriculum. Let's, let's talk about the process of going through Textures, because obviously you started talking about texture through, uh, versus race, and, and we got into this conversation. Does conversations get this deep in there? Does it, uh, or I mean, how? What is the curriculum of texture versus race? So texture versus race doesn't necessarily talk about this part unless they want to. Like every now and again, we've had to really kind of go there. I can remember maybe a few times where, like, a young lady could not understand why a black person told her they could not do her hair. And she was livid, like livid to think that she was rejected and that she knew she could do that hair. And she wanted to do this woman's hair. And and the woman said, how dare you? She's like, how dare she tell me you can't do my hair? You, You know, white girl, you can't do my hair. And she was so offended. Like, I mean, she, she cried about that one incident. For 35 minutes, we had to explain to her that you do not have the right to do her. Like, she doesn't have to let you. And that's a privilege. There's something inside of her that could not come to a place where she understood that we didn't owe you that. But her, her privilege that she felt like because she wanted to and because she knew she could that Someone had to let her, and how dare she say no to her? You see how vile that could have been? So that conversation might have been one out of, you know, just a few. But mostly we have a, salons. We had, a, we, uh, you know, our boy Will, you know, he's black. There's a, a, a black woman came into the salon, wanted him to do the hair. He didn't know how to do black hair. So he he turned her away. And the next thing you know, uh, the salon got a, 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 a lawsuit. Uh, for discrimination, because he wouldn't do her hair, it, but it, but it was the slot as a whole, uh, because he refused her, uh, and they settled out of court for you know not much money, but it was it was kind of interesting. How many times has that happened though? I mean, I've only heard of it once. That was the only time I've heard of it. <laughs> I've 
heard of that. I think more so, I think people will be glad if someone says, you know, not glad, but I'd rather you say you don't, you don't know and let me go than I would for you to jack my hair up. But that's <laughs> very many black people be like, no, you're going to do it. You know, just right. we had a, we, we we had a receptionist and a woman called and said, do you do black hair? She goes, black hair? We do blonde hair. We do red hair. We do all hair. <laughs> but you know what? More black women are turned away. Think about it. When black women come to the salon, more likely they're going to be turned away. Or you have that one person in the salon out of many that might know how to deal with textured hair. When really it just should, it just should be standard for everybody to have an idea or some experience and knowledge about textured hair. I feel that's like where we're going to go with this conversation because that's yeah. what I want to get into. How how do we equip our young hairstylists or hairstylists mm-hmm. from here on out that knows texture, not necessarily race, but texture, and that's and that's what this cr- curriculum is really about. And that's you know I really want to get into a little bit more about it because we need to change because it doesn't. Our schools don't teach it anymore. Uh, you, you, never did not anymore never did so that's the first point they never did they 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 have the skimpiest section and it just kind of says don't do relaxes period (laughs) (laughs) what i remember they used to have the hot comb press they don't even do that anymore yeah so i I think that what we got to do is we got to revise and reform the curriculum and we also have to put it in the testing and make it standard for everybody to have to learn about texture not about race you see, when we learn how to qualify texture according to individual characteristic versus just race, then each person will come out a lot more stronger and empowered behind learning how to, you know, just knowing how to do all textures. We don't have, the, we don't even have the people in place to teach it. So not only do you have to change the curriculum, but you've got to hire people that are versed or the people that you hire, make sure that they're educated on all textures here so they can sufficiently teach it and properly guide the students but if the teacher's scared the curriculum isn't there the teacher's scared the front office is trying to make some money then what they do is they put all the black people that come in into the black chairs and all the white people into the white students and then nobody ever learns how to you know cross-pollinate nobody learns each other and then so we start and see segregation from the beginning and then that just blows out into the salon so yeah so texture versus race is more about teaching you, just giving you some simple steps to, to think about your biases. And it's more about getting people comfortable. I don't have those deep, deep, deep political racist conversations unless they want to. Um, I, I try very hard to make it about a personal thing, a personal growth, a personal investment and see how invested they are. But then we move into the curriculum itself, which just outlines the texture and it takes the faces off of those textures. And once you understand that, then everybody leaves like, okay, now I understand. Now, is the rules of engagement different? Yes, because there's also a culture associated with certain people and textures. So yes, there are there is understanding around that as well. And we do teach that. But it doesn't happen in a 30, 45 minute class. It doesn't happen in an hour. Texture versus race on tour or at the shows, the trade shows, those courses are meant to get you thinking and get you on the track to seeking more education from different people like myself, who has curriculums for texture, but other other artists that work with texture versus race or don't, that just have great stellar education that you should be leaning into. So it just kind of gets you on the path, dust off your wheels and say, good, get on out there, girl, and do it. Or guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I I I I want to sit through a class. That, yeah. that that was kind of a statement and an ask here. So uh we got to make that happen. I want to sit through. I think I want to sit through both. Like I'm really intrigued by the um, the uh, the color culture and the uh, and the texture versus race. I mean, um, yeah, I'm kind of interested. I I, I definitely want to sit through. What I'm I'm really like in this conversation. Like I'm mega bummed out that we didn't do this in May. That we didn't do this at Hair Love Retreat because I would have loved to have gotten you right off the stage. I assume Elizabeth was going to have you speak, but I, I <laughs> yeah, Kia doesn't miss an opportunity. Uh, to to speak, I'm not I'm not going to miss an opportunity to speak to it at all. Yeah, I, I wish I, I would have loved to have had this conversation after you kind of were in the spotlight to kind of it would just have been a different conversation. I'm a little bit bummed about that, but that's okay. We're we're, we're going to go there. But um, 
Well, but hopefully in November we get to we get we get to sit hand in hand um, um, during a hair love retreat. Big shout out to hair love retreat, right? Um, yeah. If you guys aren't there, then oh. you're missing out. Um, <laughs> Kia, dude. I uh, we've got to wrap this up, but but uh, as we started this podcast, you you always have an open seat here, so um, we 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 would definitely like to bring you on and 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 and, and we got the ball rolling now, so let's keep yeah. it rolling. You know what yeah. I mean? We got this conversation is a great platform to keep these conversations rolling. Try to make change in our industry, so we you know we learn more about texture and and, and less about what we embrace race, but you know about about the race part of it right so we got the ball rolling let's keep keep it going yeah definitely and i'll tell you what i think there's been a huge benefit too that we've tried to do this a few times because i think what's happened is uh is your i consider you a friend now you know and, and like the conversation's different when we're friends than, than than if we're just like two people sitting across the mic from us so you know the the, the 15 times that we tried to do this before and they all fell through um each time we just got a little bit closer and, and i really appreciate you i appreciate you um certainly as an artist certainly um as a, as a spokesperson for our industry and, and just thank you and thank you for the friendship oh thank you so much guys i certainly appreciate you having me on and thank you for pushing through and I know that we, we talked about that before, that, you know, there was some trepidation around the conversation, just not knowing how it was going to go. And I think that when you submit to having it and being okay with failing, you know, not saying all the right things, not being comfortable, that speaks volumes to you guys too. So thank you for, for sitting in this. This might be the most intense conversation I've had thus far. So that's amazing to me. We're big fans. Yeah, definitely. Before before we close it all down, tell our you know our listeners if you have any last uh, words that you want to give out and how they can find you and and follow you and and you know learn more about all this you know texture versus race color culture. So I would love for you guys to follow me on my Instagram handles, Kia Artistically. I have Texture versus Race has an Instagram. The Color Culture is a repost account. So if you have great color, no matter who it's on, uh, you know, any texture, we love color, period. And we would love to repost your work. I would also love for anybody that wants to uh, learn more about our curriculums, you can go on colorculture.com. That's K-O-L-O-U-R-K-U-L-T-U-R-E.com and look in our coaching programs and you can be directed to all of our online digital courses. You can also sign up for Texture versus Race the Summit, which is coming up in September, September 13th through the 15th. Um, it probably will not be, it probably will be over <laughs> by the time this podcast comes out. But let me tell you this, there will be another one. There'll be other opportunities to definitely connect with the, with the texture versus race community, join the movement. And just remember guys, if the movement ain't movement moving, it's probably because you're not. Mm, great words. I, uh, I forgot to thank you at the beginning and I meant to uh, just thank you very much also for sitting in with, with the amazing Alelia bundles with us. Um, that, that means a lot. And, and, and you said something to me that, 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 that changed the, uh, the change, the uh, podcast altogether. And that's um, when I told you we were having her, you were like, that woman is a civil rights superhero, which I didn't know before. I just thought that she was like an author. So, um, so that's why we had the Q and A, and that's why we, um, that's why we wanted to, uh, to bring her into our community because although she kind of, she kind of treads water in our community, I don't, you know, we, we, we took the opportunity to kind of bring her in and to, and to allow the, uh, the industry to, to kind of, to kind of tread water with her and to be able to ask questions and stuff, which I thought was awesome. Also, that the questions were awesome because. You know, I thought the questions were going to all be about Madam C.J. Walker, but in fact, it was about most of the questions were about, you know, uh, race today. You know, so I, I thought I thought it was great. I thought it was a great conversation. Thinking of me on that. It's like touching our legacy, you know. Right. So us, it's like, wow, we, we're so proud of that. because She was the first black millionaire. But to be able to. Well, she was the first millionaire. She was the first self-made millionaire, regardless of color, female versus race. Yeah, female men. You know, we're going to tag black on that because we didn't have many of them. So we're going to tag black. <laughs> black. We're not going to erase that part. We, we want, and that's the thing. We're not erasing race now. You know, that's the thing. We're not erasing race. We're just not using it as the, the highest barometer for everything texture. So, yeah, right. I still love the fact that, you know, we, we got to really lean into her 
and talk to her about the legacy, but mostly the person that she is today, the brilliant and accomplished woman that she is today. So that was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kia. Kia, thank you very much. Thank you for the friendship. And thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us on your day off. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon. And we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>